came through the fiber. <laughs> you are. You really did. You know, that fiber's pretty neat, isn't it? It's very neat. So just a thread of glass. Mm -hmm. They put a plastic around it to protect it. But because of the nature of light, when it hits a change in density, in other words, the edge of the glass, it reflects it back in. And there are a couple different kinds of fiber that we do. One's called multi-mode mm -hmm. and one single mode. Multi-mode will only go um, a short distance, a few hundred meters, but single mode can go 25, 35, even 45 miles. And one thing that's kind of interesting with, with single mode fiber, when they grow it, you remember glass starts out a liquid and as they grow it, it cools from the outside. And as it cools, all the impurities in the glass stay in the liquid form till the very end. So they end up mainly right in the center of the fiber. So in single mode, when they shoot the laser into the fiber, they don't shoot it right in the middle. They shoot it a little bit off center. Did you know that? Mm -mm. I didn't know that. Yeah, so being a bad shot is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had students asking already, what is fiber made of and how do they make it? I don't know. You obviously do know because you just are telling us all about it. Oh, there you yeah, so it's glass, and some of the fibers, especially some of the short-distance ones, are made out of plastic. But it is neat. You can have a big roll of it, put a light in here, and it comes out the other end. It's pretty neat. It's a neat thing, isn't it? Yeah. Did you know? No. <laughs> Tell us. That a friend of a friend of mine. A friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really enjoys watching. Is this like a riddle? You know, it could be. Do you want to go there? Don't can, they, can, they, <laughs> can they help me? Okay, did I know a friend of a friend of mine, mm -hmm. of yours? Uh -huh. Okay. Really enjoys watching Science Live. Finally, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and? And they sit there watching and listening, and they are very interested in what you're talking about. And it doesn't matter what subject, but they're very, very, they're learning a lot. Well, that's good. I have a little video of them. Jonah. Why not? Let's his name, see her yeah, video. His name is, his name is Freddie, and Freddie? my friend's name is Kara. Kara. Okay, well, let's, okay, let's Tina, see Freddie. We want to see Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're explaining it. He's watching. <laughs> he's, oh he's listening to you. And Look you thought that. AI was going to be the threat. <laughs> the rise of the lizards. Those chemical bonds right there. <laughs> Maybe he thinks I'm holding dinner. No. Well, that's really Freddy cute. the bearded dragon. Well, there mm -hmm. we go. So look, you're reaching all kinds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've always been good with the dragons. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we've got a lot to talk okay, about. Ready. So should we jump in? Uh -huh. you know, remember last week we ended up kind of in a dangerous place. I told everybody that I had a goal. My mission was to send data over a Category 5 computer cable, mm -hmm. not at 10 megabit like everybody was doing, but I wanted to do it not at 100, but at 1,000 megabit. Just because nobody was doing that? No, because that's what I needed to do things like Acellus oh. and to do client-server computing, etc. 
And so I embarked on a project to do it, and I've already warned you that it turned out to be pretty, pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. The good projects have parts of the story where it gets really tough. And then one of the big things about this story is there was a, a brick wall, a brick wall <laughs> that I ran right into. Did it hurt? Destroyed everything, yeah. <laughs> and yet, I've already kind of hinted that if it wasn't for the success of the project, so we must have found a way through some of this, right. uh, we wouldn't probably have a solace today. So I'd like, to, I'd like to get a little bit more serious okay. about it. Do you remember last time we talked about a Category 5 cable? And we learned that this cable has eight wires, four pairs that are twisted together. Mm -hmm. And the idea is you've got to put data through those wires at a very high speed. And how do you put data through a wire? Well, you hook it up to electricity and then you disconnect it. And you do it really fast because you want to get a lot of data to go through. Well, I want to get through a hundred times more data, a hundred times faster than other people were doing. And a lot of very smart people were kind enough to explain to me it couldn't be done. <laughs> and you know, they were right. Uh, they were? Yeah, <clears throat> up to a point. <laughs> up to <laughs> For a, point. a minute. <laughs> so, want to talk about it. Well, uh, if you haven't watched last time, then maybe you'll want to, but yeah. we're gonna go charging forward. So to get it to go through the cable, we had to build, first of all, a circuit board. This would be something that would stick into a computer and give us a place to plug the cable in. So we had to be able to connect the computer to the cable and the circuit board needed to be able to send the data at a very high speed. This particular connector on the bottom is an ISA connector. This was a little bit older one. It's the first one we did. This is the one that I got to do all by myself because we didn't really have a team then. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> and there was only one problem with me doing it, and that was I didn't know how. Yeah? Mm-hmm. This is the circuit board without any of the components added. And I'm gonna see if I can turn this so we can get on the top camera. Maybe, maybe we can give this to anyone to look at it. There, can you see that? So these are little vias, they're called. Vias are little holes that go through the circuit board. And then they're pads, and you put components on the pads. Um, <clears throat> do you think we could challenge Tina? Mm -hmm. Our students really like it when we throw her a curve. They do. I'll bet she's back there getting really nervous. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Know, I was going to ask her if she would be able to play a shot of the factory where we make these boards because I think it's really neat to see that. So if you could get that ready for us, Tina, and I apologize for not letting you know before, but I am only semi-organized. <laughs> okay. At any rate, so to make a board like this, you start by drawing it. And you have to draw wires for all the places that you want to connect. Now, one of our boards, our most complex one that we used in, in the wideband networking system, had wires on eight different layers. So think about that. You, you make a layer. And the way that these boards start out, they're all copper 
on the top and the bottom, and they have an insulator in between. And then you do an optical process, like making a photograph, only the photograph is of where the traces are. And when they're photo uh, etched or impacted, then you dissolve them, and it dissolves the uh, <clears throat> copper everywhere except where you want to leave the trace. So you have these little wires left. And by having eight layers, then you have to connect the different layers together. And that's what the little vias do. They're little holes that go through that you plate so you connect up the layers. It's, it's a pretty challenging thing to do, and it's kind of fun. A person that designs boards gets to do this every day. And you start out by making a circuit diagram. And a circuit diagram, you say, okay, I'm going to use a transistor, and I'm going to use a chip and a resistor, and I'm going to hook it up like this. And you draw what you're going to do, and then you have to lay it out on a board, and the board then has to be manufactured, and then the board has to have the components put on it. Some of these components are pretty small. Pretty small back then is huge compared to what we do today. Today, when we make circuit boards, we make them with parts that are so small you can barely see them with the naked eye. And that allows you to put a lot more on a circuit board and to build much higher density circuits. If you had to do these by hand, they would be very tedious. And so this is a job that has been given to robots. And the robot that puts parts on a circuit board is called a pick and place machine. <laughs> so it goes over and it finds the part you need and it sticks it on the board. And it's kind of an interesting process because first thing you do is you make the board, okay? Then the board goes in what we call a stencil printer. And a stencil is a piece of stainless steel metal that has a laser cut holes all over it that happen to match the board. And so you put the board in the machine the stencil comes down perfectly over the board, aligned just exactly like the, the places that are made for solder, and then it takes solder paste and paints it on with a squeegee. And it lifts up, and the board comes out, and it's got all this paste, paste that if you cook it in a stove, turns into solder. So the paste holds parts on, so you can put them there, and it holds them on, you can turn it upside down, and most of them won't fall off, okay? <laughs> and then you run it through a, a reflow oven, and it melts the solder paste and solders them on all at once, okay? So we're pretty excited about, at IST, that we have things like that. Students at IST that are interested in this get to actually run pick-and-place machines and they evolve so fast. Uh, a lot of universities will have some pick-and-place machines, but we have brand new ones, state-of-the-art, the latest ones out. And I want to see if Tina found that video for us so we can she watch did. the factory. Here we go. Okay, here is the machine that's going to print the solder paste on the board. And if you look, you'll be able to see that it board lifted up, and now it's pushing the squeegee over it to print the solder paste on. And then it goes from one machine to the next. This is the first pick and place machine. And there's the board, it's 
taking a picture, yeah, figuring out everything. It makes sure that every part is the right part by actually taking a picture. And then it starts grabbing these various parts and putting them down where they go and it goes from machine to machine. They have rolls of these parts and finally it gets down to the inspection machine. And the last machine actually looks at it with very high power magnifying cameras. And if there is a resistor that's the wrong value, it recognizes the writing on it. And so you know you gotta fix that or whatever. Oh. If something's not down flat, it tells you. And then it flows through the reefo oven and you get something like this, which is the completed circuit board. Should we see if we can get this on the overhead camera? There you go. So here are the control chips, the main ones. Here's where the internet connects. And lo and behold, here is an ISO board. And you have to figure out all of these electronics. You have to be able to talk to the bus, to the computer. And then you have to write the software so the computer will talk to the board. And that's a pretty good challenge. And all that's just great, and you're done, and you ride off into the sunset. Wealthy as can be, and happy, <laughs> except that's not quite how the story goes. Because about the time you get this board created and you're ready to see if it will work, mm -hmm. and the circuit is so high frequency that you can't even find machines to test your ideas, you have to build a circuit board to see if it will work. And then when you're ready to test the circuit board, one of the nasty little problems that sneaks up behind and grabs you is the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, the guys over radio and television stations. And what do they have to do with my circuit board anyway? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> That's what I think, nothing. But they said no. In the United States of America, if you're gonna make a product, it can't interfere with anybody's television or radio or stereo or anything like that. You need to make sure that what you build isn't gonna bother anything and it has to be certified to pass the FCC testing. <laughs> well now, wait a minute. When you start sending pulses of signals down this wire at the frequencies I'm talking about, at a billion cycles per second, a gigahertz, or actually the way we ended up doing it, 333 megahertz, it's a radio wave. And it doesn't want to stay in this cable. Radio waves going down there saying, I got such a high frequency, I want to go. <laughs> and so it wants to leave the wire. And so it does. And so lo and behold, if we could get it to work, we couldn't sell it because it's gonna mess up everyone's stereo. You, you're listening to some nice music and someone turns on the computer and starts talking on the <laughs> Doesn't work, doesn't work. And so I had to figure out how to pass FCC testing. And I think this is a good thing to talk about a little bit because some of you are gonna invent stuff like this. Maybe you won't be making wideband networking equipment, but the same principles apply, especially the principles about how you don't let a problem stop you. Unless, of course, it's a brick wall, <laughs> which we're gonna get into a little bit later, okay? 
So here's how we go. I'm thinking, gee whiz, these signals going there, they're going all over. We tested it, and we've got noise everywhere. Noise meaning it's radiating signals off of the wire. So what are we going to do? Well, now, remember my background when I did this. At this point in my career, I had five bachelor's degrees, one in chemistry, physics, electrical, mechanical, and chemical engineering. And they taught us a lot of wonderful things in each of those degrees, and I'm very grateful that I got to do a bunch because it helps me look at things from many points of view and to <laughs> stagger around like a, no. Anyway, that was harsh. She gave me a harsh look. I don't know. Anyway, but the, the point is that everything you learn and store in your understanding gives you power to do the next thing that you're ready to do. So this problem with the FCC and my signals coming out of the wire and messing everything up with wideband, the first thing I went back to was the hydrogen car. How could the hydrogen car solve my problem? Yeah. And an interesting thing that happened with the hydrogen car, when I was doing it on a simple engine, it was running pretty good, but then I got onto a nice modern V8 engine, engine with eight cylinders, spark plugs, and every time I'd try and start it, it backfire, backfire, it wouldn't run. And backfire comes when you ignite the hydrogen going in the intake valve before it closes and it burns back into the intake manifold. So I was getting a spark in there at the wrong time. And I started studying it and I found out that the wire going from the distributor to the spark plug in a cylinder was sending out interference that was going to another wire in another cylinder and making a spark there. You say, well, wait a minute. Then why would it run on gasoline? Hydrogen is special. <laughs> it only takes one-tenth as much power to ignite hydrogen as it does gasoline. And as a result, gasoline gets little sparks at the wrong time in the wrong cylinders, but they're too small to ignite gasoline. But they're big enough to ignite hydrogen. So I had a huge problem. I learned if you have one wire here and another wire there, and you send a spark charge down this wire, there'll be one on that wire too because it goes by inductance. And it's the magnetic field that causes the power to jump from one wire to the other. You don't even have to have them hooked up. I tested them 19 inches apart and they still had a problem. And I ended up shielding the wires in my car to try to prevent this and then finally I solved it by lowering the spark gun. So that gave me an idea, shielding. And then, one of the next projects that I got involved in, and, and let me back up, I want to show you a picture of the Hydrogen Model A and my mentor, Bill Lear. Um, <clears throat> and there he is, there's Bill Lear, he's kind of got on the reddish jacket, he's looking over, and the very, very good looking guy in the back is Dr. Vernon, I'm the guy in the white. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> I was, there I was. And way over on the left, the guy in the sunglasses is Dr. Bob Bass, the guy that invented the, the Topolitron nuclear fusion reactor, very brilliant guy. But anyway, so Bill Lear became very interested in the hydrogen car and decided to mentor me, and I'm very grateful for that. 
But now, I'm going to back up a little bit before I met Mr. Year, Lear. I did the hydrogen car in high school. I started going to college, and I was still working on hydrogen and very, very interested. Eventually, I would start a hydrogen business. But before I did that, I got into recording. You know, recording like music recording? Let me just show you a shot of my little recording studio. Here I am with my, my two business partners. I'm sitting there at a, at a recorder. And when I started this recording studio, I could not afford a mixing console. And so I had to build one. Mm. Now you think it'd be a lot more expensive. You know, if you counted the time, it probably would have been. <laughs> but so I built a mixing uh, console. And I learned something very, very interesting that would help me invent gigabit networking. In audio, which means sound, they use cables for microphones that are very special. And I have here the end of a microphone cable. The, the cable has a shield on it, and inside the shield there are two wires, okay? And the end has three connectors. This kind of connector is called an XLR. Let me, let me show you a close-up photo of this. So there is the, the connector, and there's the inside, so you can see it. So there's three pins. Mm -hmm. One pin was connected to the shield. It was braided wire around the outside that would block off outside signals. And then the two wires inside were what electrical engineers call differential signals. And I think this is something really neat you ought to know about. And Fortunately, because I had built this mixer and worked in recording, I'd learned about microphones and how they work. Let's talk about the problem they have. When you hook a microphone in here, it creates a signal every time you make noise. You talk into it, it has a little diaphragm that vibrates, and it's a little teeny generator, and it generates energy, electricity, but it is so weak that the signal can barely be heard on the other end of the cable. And if the microphone goes by any interference at all, that interference will be picked up on the cable and you hear hum or, or distortion or something like that. So the problem with a microphone is getting it through the cable when it's such a weak signal is really hard to do. So they did something really ingenious, and I learned this from them. And I want to show you what they did, and follow me on this, because it really is kind of neat. I'd like you to take a look at this beautiful drawing that I made. Can we zoom in a little tighter on that? Yeah, tighter, tighter, tighter. Is that it? Okay, can you see that? Mm -hmm. This says Science Live. It means it's alive, huh? It's alive. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, so this blue thing here is a wire. Okay. Can you... Follow me so far. Mm -hmm. And at the end of this wire, it's hooked up to an oscilloscope. An oscilloscope is a little TV that doesn't play HBO or movies, <laughs> but instead it makes squiggles. And the squiggles tell you what the voltage is on a wire. So if you hook an, an oscilloscope up to a wire and there's no voltage, it won't do anything. But then if you hook it up to a battery, you see it go up and down. And if you Hook it up and disconnect it real fast. You can see it go up and down fast. So it shows you what's happening to the voltage on that wire. 
a really handy tool. Mm -hmm. Everybody should have an oscilloscope and have fun with it because it, it's really neat. If I hook an oscilloscope up to a microphone, you can see the sound converted to the electricity that it's moving the same as the sound did, neat. which carries the information then to have a PA system. Okay, over here on this side, we have a signal. So we're putting in five volts of electricity. Only the five volts is going on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off really fast. And as it goes down this wire, you can see it at the oscilloscope. Now I set up a wire to show you exactly how to do this. I took a piece of wire, I taped it to the table, I hooked it up. For the five volts, I used a, an instrument called a signal generator. And what it does, it's, it's a box that just makes voltage go up and down, and you have controls. You can say how fast it's gonna go up or down. Now if I hook that up to a speaker, you'd be able to hear it. And I did this experiment today at about a thousand cycles a second, which is about boop. Yeah? You know, wonder how far off I am. <laughs> and you know, you can do 2,000, you can do lower. Each frequency has a different pitch down in the audio ring. So I'm about a thousand cycles. And I run that through this wire. Now I wanna actually show you a little video clip of me sending this five volt signal down the wire and showing you how you can see it on the oscilloscope. You ready? Here we go. Okay, so to do our experiment, first thing we're gonna do is tape this wire to the table so that it'll stay put. That's very nice taping. <laughs> very precise. Okay. Something like that. Okay. So now we have a wire. I'm going to take one of my connectors from my signal generator. I'm going to go ahead and hook it up to this end of the wire. And then the other end of the wire, I'm going to hook up to my oscilloscope. All right. So now I'm generating a signal. It goes high in voltage, low in voltage. 1,000 times a second, it's hooked up to this wire, travels through to the oscilloscope, and you can see that it's going up and down. And if we look at the settings on here, it's doing it 1,000 times a second. So I'm sending a signal through this wire. Okay, so now we've got the basics. Okay. We're sending a signal through the wire. Now it's going 1,000 times a second. I want to go about 1,000 times faster. Okay, and the faster you go, the more the signal thinks that it's a radio wave and it's got to get out of the wire and go bother somebody. <laughs> Misbehave. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take another wire and I'm going to lay it just alongside the first one. And I'm going to hook it up to the second channel of the oscilloscope. And I'm not going to put any signal in it at all. I'm just going to let it just be close to the wire that has the signal. And what I want to see is if the first wire is going to emit noise to the second wire and if we can pick it up on the oscilloscope. So let's see the next one. Okay, guys, here we are in the laboratory in Area 51. I don't know where R51 is, but fortunately <laughs> right now he's not here. I have a piece of wire that is taped down to the table here. And on one side, I hooked up the wire to the signal generator. This is creating a signal 
a thousand, and I'll make it one thousand times per second exactly, or a thousand, thousand hertz. And the signal comes out, goes through this wire, and then I have it hooked up to the oscilloscope, and the oscilloscope is showing that the signal's coming through, and you can see the voltage goes up and down, up and down, which we is the way saw it's that being part. sent. <laughs> but now, I've got a second wire here. Can you see this brown wire? It's not hooked up to anything. It's just open, and then it goes into the oscilloscope. So I'm going to turn on the second channel of the oscilloscope, and look at this. It's got a signal too, even though there's nothing hooked up to it. And what's happening is that this energy wave is jumping from one wire to the other wire. We call it an inducted signal. It's being thrown over there by the magnetic energy of the first wire, the current going through it. And so that's when I gave up my project. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there are challenges. So yes, even at a low frequency, having one wire that, that goes out here with this high of a signal is going to interfere with everything, and the FCC won't let me sell it. So we had to do something else. So what I decided to do is exactly what they did in a microphone. Hmm. And what did they do? In a microphone, remember they have a shield, mm -hmm. but inside they have two wires. The shield is grounded, so there are two signal wires. Why do you need two and how do you use them? So to show you that, I'm going to go to my next design here. Okay, can you see this? Mm -hmm. Now I've got the same thing as before. I've got the wire hooked up to the signal generator and coming over to the oscilloscope. And I've got the wire that's getting the interference. It's not hooked up to anything. But now I've added a third wire. And the third wire is hooked up also to another channel of the signal generator. So I'm sending a signal into both of the blue wires. And watch what clever thing I'm able to do with it. Okay. Now what do we got? We got two blue wires both hooked up to different channels of the signal generator. So this is generating one signal, this is generating the other, and they're both at the same amplitude, which is, uh, oops, this one's milliseconds, and this one is also milliseconds, there you go. So they're set up at the same frequency. So this is sending a signal up and down to this wire, and the other channel is sending a signal up and down to the other wire, and over here we got them Connect to the oscilloscope, and you can see one channel going up and down nice and pretty, <coughs> the other one going up and down nice and pretty. Okay, so now we haven't really solved our problem. Here though. comes the magic. But this is where we're going to do the magic. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feature on this oscilloscope <laughs> where I can shift the timing of one of the signals. So I'm going to go ahead and choose channel number two, and then I'm going to look at the phasing. And I'm going to start adjusting the phasing. Now look over here as I turn this dial. Can you see that the blue one is shifting? Mm -hmm. You see how it's moving back and forth? Compared to the top one, that's because I'm changing the phasing. The and phasing is the timing. That's when okay. it sends the signal. So if I can get it so it goes a little faster. Now you can see 
that this one's high right when that one's low. Mm -hmm. And that creates something very magical. If they're lined up just right out of phase, this, this one's high when that one's low, this one is low when that one's high, they're out of phase. And let's see what that does. I'm going to switch my probe now over to the wire that isn't hooked up to anything. Can we freeze this for just a minute? Kind of I, want to, I want to just say something here. Okay, so now we adjusted one of the signals so that it's lined up with the other one but out of phase. And what happens is now the first wire is radiating interference. Mm -hmm. The second wire is radiating interference too, but they're radiating it opposite. One's going positive when the other one's going negative. And so they radiate interference exactly balancing out each other. And the magic of that is it kills the interference. It kills the signal because one's trying to send it out that way. The other one's going the opposite. And so they, they cancel out. And let's see now if we can actually see that on the oscilloscope. Noise I make. And look at that. Now the noise is gone because when this one transmits a signal and sends out a wave, this one transmits a signal that's the opposite. And so they cancel each other out and voila. We have no interference. That seems really significant. That, that is magic. Yeah. This microphone cable would not work without that principle. So the two wires in there are what we call differential signals. And that's a big word. But what it means is when the diaphragm vibrates and generates electricity, when the electricity goes high, they have it rigged up so another one is generating it so it goes low. So there's no electricity, and then there's a plus voltage and a minus voltage at the same time. And so those two signals go down the wire. Now, if there's noise, and there always is, and the cable picks up the noise, and the mic signal's so weak, you have to really amplify it when you get to your amplifier. So it comes into the amplifier, but we don't put it into just a regular amplifier where it would say, if it's big, it's loud, if it's little, it's not we put it in a dif differential amplifier. So we don't measure the voltage between the peak and ground, we measure the voltage between the peak of one wire and the trough of the other one. And so it makes all of the noise that comes in gets canceled out. And I'm doing just the opposite here with my wires by using a differential signal. By using a differential signal and twisted together so that they really cancel each other out. It gets rid of the interference for the FCC, and it also gets rid of the nasty interference from the other pairs that are running right with them because they're canceling each other out, and whatever gets into this new pair, when it goes into the amplifier, it's differential, so it cancels out the inductive noise. It's neat. <laughs> now, I realize really for some neat. of you, that may get a little bit deep, and that's all right, mm -hmm. but I hope you get the point that the things you learn when you build your hydrogen science fair <laughs> project in high school, and when you're doing your recording studio because you really want to get into radio, mm -hmm. when you're doing all that, it's going to help you make your wideband networking. <laughs> does that make sense? It does. Okay, it does. so we got that problem solved. We got the circuit board built. 
And uh, now we're down to just the final problem, and that is how do we get enough power to stay in the wire mm -hmm. so when it gets down at the other end, we can read it? Right. And unfortunately, that's the brick wall because we're putting it in so fast that the data can't make it to the other end. Maria wanted to know if it made the wire, the cable hot. <laughs> oh, yes. Does it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, because we're talking about a very, very low microcurrent, mm -hmm. it really doesn't. Uh, we, we actually shoot the signal in the wire at just one volt. That's not even one flashlight battery's worth. Mm -hmm. And the cable's long. For the standard, it has to be up to 100 meters, which is 333 feet, mm -hmm. which is, you know, like a little bit longer than a football field. And so uh, the amount of current that flows is very little, so it doesn't get hot. Okay, good question, though. But when we started putting the signal through the cable, we put it in nice and pretty on this end, but it didn't come out on this end. It wasn't interfering because we canceled it out, but where, oh where, <laughs> did my data go? And you know, um, can you hear the salesman trying to explain this? Well, I know, I know you put some data in there, <laughs> but it must have gone somewhere. Maybe someone else needed it worse than you did. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. <laughs> well, this is going to be what we're going to address next time. And I call this the brick wall. This was the point where everybody knew you couldn't get data through just a plain old telephone cable uh, at the data rates that I wanted to do. And why did I choose such a high speed? Because that's what we need for all the things I want to do, to do lessons for all of our students yep. over the network. I need gigabit data rate. And to do a lot of other things with the client-server invention that I developed and things. So I had to get the speed, uh, and it wasn't easy. And you know, it took a little while. We did a lot of experimenting, tried a lot of things. but we found a way. And I think you'll find the way to be quite interesting. So next time, I intend to introduce you to the brick wall. And I, I don't want you to lose any sleep over like this that. this week. So I'll just say, the story ends well when it has success. Not all experiments end well. That's part of what science is about. Science is the art of learning things about nature. It's a method of investigation and discovery. And if you learn things about nature, you're gonna learn that you thought it was this or you thought it was that, and quite often you're not right. Now, what inventioneers do, we distinguish ourselves from basic research scientists. There are theoretical research scientists. They just sit there and think and do calculations and try and figure everything out. And then there's the research scientists, basic research. They try to uncover very, very interesting new phenomena of science and figure out what's making them work. And then there's us inventioneers. We come along behind 
And we look what they invented, and we say, what could I do with that? <laughs> and we put them to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we have a lot of fun. Uh, Thomas Edison is best known for the light bulb. And you know, uh, someday we're going to get into more of the details of his story because he was Bill Lear's mentor. So he's in our genealogy of inventorship. But there was a guy that came to visit Edison and he had a light bulb and he showed it to Edison. Edison was working on some other things. And when he saw this, how you could light with electricity, he became so enamored that he dropped everything else and worked on it. The guy already had a light bulb. Other people had light bulbs too. But what Edison did is he said, I'm going to figure out a whole system that will work in the marketplace. So what Einstein did is he figured out the system of how to bring light to New York and eventually to the world. And that's what inventioners do. Some people call that part of it system engineering. But since there's a lot of inventing you have to along the way, I call it inventioneering. And inventioners um, have a lot of fun and there's a lot of reward because when you get something that really changes the quality of life for people, they'll thank you with, you know, coins. <laughs> coins. All right, so if, if you're not ready to take on the brick wall at high velocity, then you may want to skip next week. <laughs> okay, and I'll give you permission to do ready. that. What? Yeah, because you know, this, this is going to be really mm. intense, okay? <laughs> I will say some good news. Uh, we've been given permission to give credit for Science Live this year, a science credit. Wow. And so there are some things you're going to have to do to be able to get the credit. It'll be in the form of keeping a notebook. But uh, for those of you that want to go on the ride this year. I am really thrilled about how much science you're picking up. I'm hearing from a lot of you, I'm talking from a lot of you, and you're getting familiar with the terms and you're starting to see things that you can do. I, I hope we're inspiring a whole bunch of people to invent a lot of neat stuff. Uh, Bill Lear really inspired me to believe that I could and so I tried. And, and uh, he taught me it's hard, but it's worth it. Think of his Learjet. I mean, when it was just chairs in his kitchen, it didn't go that far. <laughs> but look what it did to the world. It changed so much of, of the world we live in. And that's what you can do. So build your educational foundation. Study very, 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 very hard because you'll be glad you did. And the more you get into it, the more you see, the more you understand. I mean. We just figured out how to cancel out noise. That's amazing. Can you believe that? So we can have microphones, we can have phonograph needles, they use that too, and we can have gigabit networking that hits the brick wall. See you next time. <laughs>